The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter number 30 tonight. Deuteronomy chapter number 30, and we are looking at two covenants. One book is the title of our lesson this evening as we uh, continue in this matter of being biblically literate. And perhaps, I was thinking a moment ago, perhaps you say, well, I've read the Bible all these years, and, and I feel like, boy, biblically literate, I feel like I have a fairly good understanding of Scripture. And you know what? Every time we come to the Bible, we can learn some things about it. So I, I hope that doesn't push you away from uh, what we're doing here tonight. I hope that just draws you in. You know, I can learn a little bit more about it so that I can share it with others in an even better um, better way. And uh, the more that we can uh, understand about Scripture and overviewing it, it really does help us in the communication of it wherever God would allow us to communicate it in our daily lives. All right? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter number 30, verse number 11. Let's look there. The Bible says, For this commandment which I commanded thee this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up um, for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who will go over the sea for us uh, uh, and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. What is being talked about here is the covenant that God was making with his people Israel, uh, this is toward the end of Moses' life. He's relaying these. These are kind of final words that are being said, and he's laying these down. This is what God wants you to do. This is the, the covenant that God is making between you and himself. Let's go on in verse number 15. See, I have set before thee this day good, uh, a life and good, and death and evil. I don't know about you, but I'm going to go ahead and take the life and the good. Are, are you with me on that? And he set this before them. Here's your options. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and to his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the, um, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But, but, if, thou, uh, if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but thou shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over the, the Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore... Choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life. Let's say that together. For he is thy life, and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Father, would you bless our time in your word? Help us to understand how you have perfectly and so specifically revealed yourself to us in Scripture in the form of, of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Lord, they all tell one story. Thank you for that. And I pray that you would help us to understand it tonight so that we might better study your word and also better share your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. 
So tonight we're looking at how these two fit together, how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together. We've started here with this this covenant that Moses is relaying to the people Israel, this covenant between them and God. And it starts back in chapter number 29, but God comes into chapter number 30 and really says to them, listen, I want you to understand that you have a choice to make. Uh, This choice is important. You need to take it seriously. And you have a choice to make. And what we find here, even within this this scripture that we have just read, is a tension between the love of God, God longing to relate with his people and to have a relationship with his people as they would obey him and hear his voice and keep his commandments, and also the, the justice of God, the holiness of God that requires when his people would slip and they would go against him and they would uh, turn away from him that he would have to bring judgment and bring correction into their lives. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we again find this tension between the holiness of God and the very love of God. And we find it resolved in the person, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, we find it resolved in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, specifically his work at Calvary, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why when Jesus was talking to the religious leaders, he could say to them, and in his messages, everything resolves in me. If you remember Luke 24 and verse 44, uh, Jesus was saying that all the prophets, all the Psalms, everything spoke of him. And so as you consider the Bible and as you read through the Bible, just be looking for the person of the Lord Jesus. Look for him on the pages of every, every um, book of the Bible because he is there. It all resolves in him. It is all about him. And so if you want to look at that a little bit later, Luke 24, verses 40, um, 44, as well as verses 27 and 45. But Paul says this as well. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that all the promises of God are in him, in Jesus, yea and amen. Before the service, I asked Brother uh, Huey as he walked in, I, I, I said uh, to him, amen, brother? And he said, to what? To what? Hey, he's a good man. He doesn't just say amen. He doesn't say so be it just to anything. He wanted to know what he was saying so be it to. The idea when Paul was saying that in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20, uh, that all the promises in him, Jesus, are yea, yes, and amen, or so be it, is true. All the promises of God are are fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing that is. And so everything in the Bible, all of its themes, all of its patterns, all of its main images, all of its major figures are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it really unifies the pages of Scripture together when we can understand that. It's not some fable far off, different, uh, uh, you know, distant story. It is a unified story, a historical uh, narrative that God has given us unified around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who came and died in our place after that we had personally chosen to separate ourselves or to, uh, to, uh, to disobey God and, and allow separation to happen between us and our God. And God is coming through the Lord Jesus Christ to restore us, to forgive us, to bring us reconciliation with the Father so that we might live with him eternally in his presence once again in a reconciled place. And I was thinking about Revelation chapter number 21 and 22 and how that everything is recreated and there's this brand new heaven and earth. I was talking with a new believer today and talking about how that it'll all be, though the earth will be done away with fire, not with uh, water, not with a flood, but with fire. But God's going to create it all anew all anew, and we'll uh, again live in the garden city of our God 
as it is told in Revelation 21 through 22. What a beautiful thing. So the Bible's a great story. Uh, In the truest sense of the word, there's a ton of tension in it. There's a wonderful climax at the cross, but that's not the end of the story. It continues on, and the plan is all drawn out, and it is a wonderful book in the sense that it transforms our lives. Transforms our lives. Think about your life before salvation. Think about how that God is changing your life through the word. What does the Bible say that is through the washing of the water of the word that we are transformed and that our minds are changed to think more like Christ? What does he say? Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. All through the word of God, he is changing us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing. Now, as we read in modern ways, I don't know if you, if you go to the zoo and, and go to different museums, you see, uh, you see this constantly reinforced that we are just an accident, right? And that we're the product of millions and billions of years, and it seems that we can continue to add on those years uh, in order to answer things that we don't understand. And so in the Western world, and really all around the world, there is different, there is different uh, understandings of how, that we have, uh, how we have gotten here from that which we read in the Bible. And uh, the fact is, as you read in the Bible, we are not an accident. Uh, we are not the product of a big bang. We are not the product of just many years, you know, and, 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 uh, and chance coming together and forming us. We are here for a purpose. We were created for a purpose. And God ha- is bringing us somewhere for a purpose. History is moving somewhere. It's going somewhere. And what a great thing. It's not the survival of the, of the fittest. It's, it's God is bringing us along through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we learn that. One person said it this way, from the moment, that moment on, that I, I finally realized that, that we're here for a purpose. We're not just an accident. God has placed us here. I read scripture differently through the eyes or with the eyes of faith. I felt like the Bible was reading me rather than me reading the Bible, which exposed me to a power benevolent, consistent, and constructive I never knew before. It's an amazing thing when you watch a new believer's eyes open up and, and, and begin to understand the Word of God. It's like, whoa, it says that? And I remember just sharing recently the idea that, that God's uh, law is written on our hearts according to Romans chapter number two. He's written it on our consciences so that we know his law even in our hearts without even the, the aid of the Bible. Though, uh, the Bible. We need the Bible to understand all of God and who he is and so on, but he's written it on our hearts. He's put it there. And, and what an amazing thing to watch this, this person's eyes just open up. Wow, that's true. I, I, I track with that. I understand that. Why? Because it is an amazing book that is written by God. It's specifically given to us to help us to understand God, who he is, what he's all about specifically. So in reality, as you and I read the Bible, we must allow it to read us, not just read the Bible. We must allow it to change us, to speak to our hearts, and to deal with us. Why? Because to know the Bible is to know God. To know the Bible is to know God. You want to take a step closer to God this year, and know the Bible in a greater way. Study it in a greater way, and we'll never exhaust it. Right, friends? We'll never exhaust it. And so where are you in this journey right now? Let's continue on in that, and let's be faithful to the word even in these days. But I want us to realize tonight that both Testaments, as we try to bring these together and just kind of overview the Testaments tonight before we get into more of the the details of the Bible in, in coming weeks, both Testaments reveal one God. 
one God. In fact, if you will, for a moment, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. In verse number one, give, o, uh, give ear, O ye heavens, and I will thus speak, and hear, O earth, the word of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass, because I will publish, you, um, publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth. And without iniquity, just and right is he. Later on, as God was um, uh, declaring himself to the, to the Israelite people, he says, hey, listen, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I believe that's over in Deuteronomy chapter number 6. But both testaments reveal one God. Yes, uh, he is expressed in three persons, but both testaments reveal one God. He is holy. He is sovereign. He understands all things, yet he is loving and he is personal. He's not distant. He's not distant. Uh, any, any religion that, that portrays God as being distant is, is very un, un, unfaithful to the word of God. He is loving and very personal. Uh, we can, in a sense, understand him saying, I am very forgiving, yet I will judge every sin. We hear our Lord speaking about that. And I want to deal with that for a moment. We, uh, one of my favorite books in the Bible, and verses in the Bible, I should say, is Nahum 1.7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. And he is. In every sense of the word. And the, God is so good that he is absolutely loving, as we've talked about, and we're continuing to drive this, this theme home. But God is good in that he is also absolutely just. Now think about this for a moment. God is loving and he wants to forgive every sin. And God is just, he must punish every sin. Think about these verses, Exodus 34 and verse number 6. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Verse number 7, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. What do we see right in those verses? The mercy of God and the holiness of God. The, the love of God, the desire to forgive, and the holiness of God. Think about this, Romans 118. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. There's his wrath, but 1 John 4 and verse number 10, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sin, the appeasement of, of his wrath, the object of his wrath. And so we have these both just firmly rooted in Scripture, his, his love, and his justice. They're both there. And God is so very good. And therefore he's loving. God is so very good. And therefore he is just. We cannot lose sight of that. And listen. Truth always must be in the balance. And as we read through scripture. We must understand that. That God is always going to be in the balance. He's always going to be balanced. And you know we get off in our own lives. When we get out of balance don't we? 
We get off in our own lives, and I've said this before, but we get off in the doctrine of salvation when we, when we get off and uh, we tilt one side to the free will of man or one side to the, the sovereignty of God. We get off, but truth is in the balance. God is sovereign, amen? And God has allowed us a free will, amen? And, and we hold those two truths in balance, though we do not fully understand how they uh, work together. We trust our God with that. And so God is is amazingly good and that he is fully loving and he is fully just now think about this either he is fully good in his justice and only partially good in terms of love and so in in that case he would completely judge us we we absolutely deserve hell do we not yeah absolutely so if he is all justice perfectly good in his justice we deserve every bit but if he's perfectly good in his love in our minds, we, he can look at our sin, oh, well, I know what I said, but you have a pass. No, 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 God is perfectly good in both. He is a God in intention, a God in justice, and he is that good. He is that good. Uh, as we think of the, the testaments of the Old Testament and the New Testament, have you ever heard someone say, oh, I, like, I like the God of the, um, the New Testament, but I don't know about the God of the Old Testament. He seems so vengeful in the Old Testament. He seems so harsh in the Old Testament, but so loving in the New Testament. So when we look at this, this isn't, this isn't one writer who is vengeful and, and very, very holy, very strict, and then another writer who's very, very loving. No, it's the same God expressing himself to us. These two truths in tension together, and though all over, all over the Old Testament, you can find his love written over and over and over again. So the Old Testament narrative is one that has great tension in it, and it continues forward all the way to the cross in that way. You have to think, history is going somewhere. How is God going to resolve this tension between his love and his holiness? How does God's, uh, the goodness of God resolve? It all resolves in one place. The, the Old Testament is, is pushing towards that and, and driving towards that resolution. And uh, just like a good song we've talked about before is going to drive towards that resolution. It's going to have some, some tension and then it's going to drive towards that resolution and that's going to be the, the grand thing. And so it will all Uh, get there towards that resolution and the old testament speaks towards that and foreshadows that all in this person of the lord jesus christ so notice the old testament also predicts jesus it predicts jesus the old testament all of its parts diagnose a problem do they not here's the law this is god's standard this is what you must do thou shalt not lie thou shalt not bear false witness thou shalt not covet Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. All the laws that God puts up, and you know what it exposes is the problem of our own sinfulness. The problem that in my heart there dwells no good thing. I am driven to sin. In fact, I I am enslaved to sin. When temptation presents itself, I must sin. And I find as I read the law, the Bible says in the book of Galatians that the law is a schoolmaster that reminds me, hey, you're a sinner. Over and over, it reminds me of this. What an amazing thing. So the Old Testament and all of its parts are diagnosing the problem of my sin, my rebellion of the curse, the wrath, and the judgment of Almighty God upon the sinfulness of man. Really, it's diagnosing this. I need salvation. 
I need a rescuer. And over and over, as you read through the Old Testament, and as you watch God deal with the, on the people of Israel, you realize they need help. They need someone to rescue them. They need, they need help along the way. And so the Old Testament, in all of its parts, is predicting a rescuer. A rescuer. It's pointing towards that. It's pointing towards a substitutionary rescuer, one that would lay down a, uh, a substitutionary sacrifice. And you think uh, of the illustration of Isaac and Abraham on Mount Moriah when they go up there and God has told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac uh, there on the, uh, on the mountain, on the, on the altar, and he gets up there. And, and what does he say to Isaac on the way when Isaac's asked, uh, Father, we see the fire, we see the wood. But I don't see a sacrifice. I don't see a lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. And what did God do? He did. He provided himself a lamb. What a beautiful picture. A substitutionary sacrifice that day in Isaac's place. And what a beautiful picture that was of what God was trying to portray over and over from the very get-go. I am going to send a rescuer that's going to take your place. Even if we go back further, back to the, the Garden of Eden, what did Adam and Eve, after they after they sin, they realize their own nakedness before God, their shame before God. And they tried to cover up, and God said, no, 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 not good enough. And God provides them with animal skins. Where did those animal skins come from? They didn't come from the store. <laughs> they came from a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. Early on, God was showing he covers our sinful shame with a sacrifice, with a blood sacrifice. Genesis tells us how that God created us. He chose us. He writes our stories. He, he redeems us. Exodus tells us how he pursues us, never forgets us. He leads us from bondage. He governs us graciously. Leviticus tells us that there's only, a, um, that, that only substitutionary death and the shedding of blood can allow us to have a relationship with God. It points to the ultimate sacrifice. I don't know about you, Leviticus isn't the funnest book in the um, world to read, except when you realize that it is all pointing and speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And you, you get through those and the call above the liver and all these different <laughs> terms that are going on. I remember as a kid, we would have family devotions. My dad would just, he would read right through those passages of Scripture, and it's like, and over and over, and the call above the liver, and the, you know, you, you, some of these, these, just, these terms that are, uh, that are frequent in that book. But Leviticus is all pointing towards that substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Numbers and Deuteronomy shows us the redemptive history unfolding as God relates it to his people. Judges and Esther point to Jesus as the only perfect king and the source of our Peace, Job through Solomon, the Song of Solomon, is pointing towards Jesus as our wisdom, how to relate to God. What a beautiful thing that that is. And the prophets are indicting, are calling out the rejection and the rebellion, how that we've erred from God's law. And they're pointing and confronting the sin out and pointing out that we need the coming king and we need the substitutionary savior and what he would do on the cross for us. The suffering savior as Isaiah so wonderfully uh, displays to us. I want us to go back to Deuteronomy chapter number 30 for a moment. And again, we find here how that God is presenting himself uh, to his own people in this covenant. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to be your savior. 
I'm going to be the, the one who redeems you. And again, notice how that Jesus is predicted in the Old Testament. Uh, it's, it's veiled. You don't see it clearly, but as time marches on, it becomes more and more clear. What does Galatians 4 and verse 4 say? In the fullness of time, he was revealed. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse number 1, where it tells us again, And it came to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee. As they would reject and disobey God, God would bring them into bondage. There's a good lesson for us every time that you and I uh, choose to walk away from the principles of God's word, we always will find ourselves in bondage and enslaved to sin. Uh, not that we have to go there. Uh, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 1. But uh, They constantly were going back into bondage, and they didn't need to. Verse number two, and thou shalt return unto the Lord thy God and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day. And um, thou and thy children with all thine heart and with all thy soul that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity. Notice who's turning the captivity, the Lord thy God and have compassion upon thee. Notice that his compassion and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. So there's his judgment, his punishment against their sin, but also his grace and mercy coming, uh, coming towards them as they repent and turn back towards him. Verse number four, if any of thine, uh, thine be driven out, uh, unto the uttermost parts of the heaven. From thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee uh, into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it. And he will do thee good, and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thy heart, and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all um, that thou mayest live. And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies and them that hate thee, which persecuted thee. And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commands with, uh, commandments which I command thee this day. And again, just over and over, um, being reminded of the fact, hey, God is a merciful God who is very loving. Though he judges sin, he will bring you back as you turn to him and you find that your redemption, your rescue is found in the Lord God of Israel. Psalm 3 and verse number 8, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Isaiah 12 and verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Isaiah 61 and verse number 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The garments of salvation. We have this song that we sing, His robes for mine. What a, uh, what a picture it is. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with uh, her jewels. 
And that is what he does in salvation. Jeremiah 3 and verse 23, truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of the mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. Lamentation 3 and verse 26, it is good that man should both, uh, both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Micah 7, 7, Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Habakkuk 3, 18, as he closes out that wonderful book, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Zechariah 9, and verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just. And having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey, upon the colt um, full of a donkey. And so uh, for uh, foretelling how he would come into Jerusalem and he would be bringing peace, but ultimately how he'd be going to the cross and bringing deliverance and rescue to his people and to us. What a God we have. And that is all portrayed all the way throughout the Old Testament is predicting Jesus, the rescuer who would come to save us from our sin. But the New Testament reveals Jesus. And that's where we go back to Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 4, where in the fullness of time, Christ was brought forth. In the fullness of time, at the exact right time. And uh, as I consider that, everything was at the perfect moment when God's gospel could, could progress easily where the word of God could be written in, a, in a, uh, a tongue, a language that was very, very accurate. It was a fullness of time in every sense of the word, and God reveals, it reveals Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And so as in the Old Testament, we see our great need for rescue. We see our, our problem of sin. The sin is diagnosed so in the New Testament, all of its parts reveal a rescuer. The Old Testament reveals, I need a rescuer. The New Testament reveals, here he is. This is the rescuer, and specifically, in all of its parts, God is revealed as the rescuer in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the God-man. What, uh, what a beautiful thing it is to consider in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number Eight and ten, we find how that he he came down and humbled himself and lived among us. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And so the New Testament reveals him specifically. So how we're gonna use this in our own lives as we study through is is we're looking for Jesus all the way through the Old Testament, and we just say a hearty amen as we come to the New Testament and we see him revealed specifically. And it makes the reading of the New Testament all the more beautiful. And uh, we'll see this in a moment. In fact, I, I, I don't want to forget to share this with you. Would you turn over to Romans chapter number 10? Because we started out th uh, this evening, we talked about this. We talked about how God was telling his people, hey, listen, if you sin and if you go against the covenant, if you go against uh, your promise to obey me and to hear out here and to do right according to the commands I've given you, there is going to be judgment. But the word is nivy. And I want us to remember that when Paul was uh, writing under inspiration in Romans chapter number 10, I want us to remember they, there's a quote directly from Deuteronomy, that passage, and connecting it with Jesus Christ. 
And this is really awesome if you, uh, if you, if you look at it. Uh, verse number four. Well, start at verse number one. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for, uh, to God for Israel is that they might be saved. All right? Uh, he, that was his earnest prayer. And that still should be our earnest prayer today. Uh, as we would think of the Jewish nation, that they would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I bear record, verse number two, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. It's not according to truth. Uh, verse number three, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness are going about to establish their own righteousness, uh, having not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So they refuse to accept what Scripture says is righteousness, and that's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Notice verse number four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. They go about trying to establish their own righteousness. Christ is the end of that to everyone that believes on him. He is their righteousness. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? He is your righteousness. And the reason you can go boldly to the throne of grace tonight and you can pray about whatever is on your heart, you can seek grace to help in time of need, is he is your righteousness. And because you are righteous in him, you have the ability to access the throne of grace. What an amazing God that we have. But let's look at verse number five, because this is where it connects back to Deuteronomy. It says here in verse number five, for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, which is impossible, friends, right? It's impossible to keep the law. It's impossible. The law shows me I need a rescuer. The law shows me I am a sinner and I'm helpless. I'm helplessly sinful. And he says, for, for Moses describeth the righteousness on which is of the law. It, it must be perfect. That a man which doeth those things uh, shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend uh, into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall uh, descend into the deep. That is to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart um, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And do you see here the connection back, right back to the book of Deuteronomy here? I mean, it's verbatim, and, and it's all coming together in who? Jesus Christ. It's revealed in him. So what was predicted there Hey, you can have this. Uh, you can have salvation. I will. I will circumcise your heart. I'll. I'll bring righteousness into your heart by faith. Is all fulfilled and revealed in Jesus Christ. We find in Luke two and verse number thirty, as I believe is cinnamon. Uh, cinnamon. Simeon. For mine eyes have seen. My eyes have seen thy salvation. Wow, cinnamon. That was a good one. Luke nineteen and verse number nine and. Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to thy house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. Acts 4 and verse number 10 through 12, uh, uh, Peter preaching, and what does he say? You can't find salvation in any other, right? You can't find salvation in any other but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Titus 2 and verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And again, it's focused in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing that it is. Turn over to uh, 1 Peter 1 and verse number 3. Isn't salvation beautiful? I mean, there's no other way to describe it. Like, 
I think we're going to be standing in wonder for all of eternity, just wondering at and marveling at what God has done. First Peter 1 and verse number 3, let's look here for a moment and see how many times salvation is brought back to Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, abundant mercy, 1 Peter 1 and verse number 3, hath begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You having a bad day? reserved in heaven for you, an inheritance incorruptible. It's not going anywhere. It doesn't drop. It doesn't drop in value. It's an amazing thing. Verse number five, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, all sorts of trials, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Think about their time in human history, that they simply were mouthpieces for God, trumpeting and proclaiming something that was going to come in, a fu- in the future, but they never got to experience for themselves the glory of it that we get to enjoy today we get to proclaim today everywhere we go we get to be ambassadors for they got to prophesy about it verse number 11 searching what or what manner of time the spirit of christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand of the sufferings of christ and the glory that should follow but we live in a great time we live in a time where this has all been fulfilled we look back on this but it was all progressing. It was predicted. Jesus was predicted as a uh, rescuer in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. Revelation 7, verse number 10, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Uh, Chapter 12, verse number 10, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is salvation come and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God night and day. So, simple, what I want us to walk away from tonight. Jesus is predicted as uh, the rescuer in the Old Testament and is revealed in the New Testament. It is so simple when we, when we break it down into two parts, something that's very complex. There's how many books in the Bible? 66. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and it seems like it's so complex. You get down into the weeds, it's so complex. Zoom out, two covenants, one book, one side is predicting Jesus Christ, the rescuer, though he's not mentioned by, by name, though, uh, and, and then he's revealed in the New Testament as the one who rescued us um, from our sin. And uh, really, the Old Testament predicts 
Jesus and builds an airtight case of our need for salvation. That's why when you're sharing the gospel, one of the most harmful things that we can do is shortcut the law. You know what I mean by that? If a person does not know they are a sinner, if they're not firmly convinced that they are a sinner before a holy God, they cannot receive salvation as they ought to. And perhaps one of the reasons we have folks that are, are very weak in their, in their salvation or not even saved in popular Christianity is because we tried to talk all about the love of God and not about the holiness of God. And we are condemned. We are eternally condemned. It's why when we uh, speak and give the gospel, I, I want to use the word hell in, in referring to the judgment. I want to talk about death. Not because I want to, in, we want to inflict that, but we have to, because we have to help people to understand that. So it's building an airtight case. It's, it's, I need it. When I look, when God says that even one lie is worthy of death, one act of disobedience separated Adam and Eve from God in the garden. And so how greatly we need a rescuer. And so he came. Let's finish up in this way. All the way through Scripture, we see the, the scarlet thread. Uh, Adrian Rogers wrote a beautiful, a beautiful uh, work on that. And I have it in my office. I printed it off. You can get it online as a PDF. What a beautiful, when you just see the scarlet thread of Jesus Christ all the way through Scripture, all of Scripture talks, uh, speaks of him. But uh, this is not original. But uh, it, you can find this in... Boy, it warms my heart every time I think about it. But in Genesis, Jesus is the ram on Abraham's altar. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. Uh, in Leviticus, he is the high priest. In Numbers, he's the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the city of refuge. What an amazing picture that is. Joshua, he's a scarlet thread out of Rahab's window. Judges, he is our judge. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer, Boaz. In First and Second Samuel, he is the trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is reigning king. In Ezra, he is a faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is a rebuilder of everything that is broken down. In Esther, he is Mordecai sitting faithful at the gate. In Job, he is our redeemer that ever lives. In Psalms, he is the shepherd that I shall not want. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is our beautiful bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the suffering prophet. In Jeremiah and Lamentation, he is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is my love that is forever faithful. In Joel, he is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is our Savior. In Jonah, he is a great foreign prophet that takes the word of God into all the world. In Micah, he is the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger. In Habakkuk, he is the watchman that is ever praying for revival. 
Zephaniah, he is the Lord mighty to serve. In Haggai, he is a restorer of our lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is our fountain. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. In Mark, he is a miracle worker. In Luke, he is the son of man. In John, he is the door by which everyone must enter. In Acts, he is a shining light that appears to Saul on the road to Damascus. In Romans, he is our justifier. In Corinthians, he is our rescuer, uh, resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, he is our sin bearer. In Galatians, he redeems us from the law. In F, uh, Ephesians, he is the unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he is uh, what supplies our every need. In Colossians, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is our soon coming king. In First and Second Timothy, he is a mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is our blessed hope. In Philemon, he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he is the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he is the Lord that heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is our chief shepherd. In First, Second, and Third John, it is Jesus who has the tenderness of love. In Jude, he is coming with ten thousand of his saints. In Revelation. We lift up our eyes, church, for your redemption draweth nigh. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. All the way through the Bible, we find our Christ written upon the pages of Scripture. And friends, that ought to cheer our hearts, because he's revealed to us specifically. He did not simply leave us with specific revelation or general revelation in the heavens, that we can just know that there is a God, he specifically revealed uh, uh, himself to us and noted and spent much time telling us you got a problem and you need me and revealed it in the person of Jesus Christ. Why don't we just thank him tonight as we close in prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your precious word. Forgive us, Lord, that we don't take and put more value in this, this book that you have given to us. Forgive us for becoming casual about it and for taking it for granted but tonight lord i pray that you have taught us and that you've encouraged us to continue to read and continue to dissect it study it show ourselves approved unto you so that we might better share it with others and with our families and lord that we might walk with you in a greater and better way in jesus name would you take a moment there in your seat and simply just thank him tonight for his word. Thank him for revealing Jesus to you through his word. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.